So we're in this series on Isaiah, and yes, we are taking some time to look at this lengthier Old Testament book. And just to summarize, you know, if you're kind of new to this series, welcome. Chapters 1 through 5 are God presents His case against Israel. Chapter 6 is part of the solution. We have the call of Isaiah. This is whom God would send to minister to His people. So Isaiah's call is there in the first half of chapter 6. Second half of chapter 6, this is the message that Isaiah would proclaim And now we turn to chapter 7. You'll notice a change in tone. We get a narrative portion of Isaiah in the interactions. This is really the first recorded interaction that Isaiah has uh, with King Ahaz, and we'll see what happens, how this is relevant to us. So I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake in the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Let's pray together. Lord, would you guide and lead us as we study your word together? Would we hear from you By your Holy Spirit, guide and lead us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I was on vacation and was walking and and saw a guy with a t-shirt that had an American flag. So it had an American flag on this t-shirt that was waving. And then the print over the American flag said, I miss the country I grew up in. And it was a little humorous, a little ironic. I miss the country I grew up in, but the country you grew up in was America. And you get the sentiment there that, and this is true, the older you are, the further away you are from the country you grew up in. I mean, how did we ever get in a situation where it's okay for biological men to compete in women's sports? The world, our country is upside down. 
upside down. And these are situations, and certainly that gentleman wearing the t-shirt, it's a situation where we could say our hearts are shaken. It's one of these situations that frustrates us. It's a situation that we might have our heart shaken. That's what the situation here is in verse 2. The heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. How is your heart conditioned this morning? Frequently, there are heart-shaking episodes that happen in your life, in our world, in our country. It might be a health scare. It could be decisions you disagree with that your child or grandchild is making. It could be anxiety over making ends meet. What is the deal with eggs being so expensive? So whatever heart-shaking situation you're in, or you will be in, and we meet a serious heart-shaking situation here. Uh, This is a pending invasion that's going to happen, warfare, a threat to their life. Here's what you need to know. When your heart shakes, and we're all in those situations occasionally, when your heart shakes, God responds. That's what this text is about. It's about you and I being, we're shaking like a leaf, or in a biblical sense, as the trees of the forest shake, and God responds. He comes out for these situations, and that's what we're going to look at here in this text, and what wonderful assurance we have that God is responsive when our hearts are shaking. So the first way that you're going to see that God responds here in this text is that He meets us. And this is in verses 1 through 3. When you're in a hard situation, when your heart is all shook up, God comes out and He meets us. And just a little context here. So Ahaz is the grandson of Uzziah. We met Uzziah back in chapter 6, verse 1, and he is ruling in Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. Israel is divided. It's a divided kingdom. So you have Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and then you have Judah, which is the southern kingdom with Jerusalem. And what's being told to us here is that Assyria is rising, and to make matters more confusing, Assyria is not the same as Syria, but that's why I'm explaining all this. So Assyria is rising, and then the country of Syria joins with the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim, sometimes called Ephraim, and they are combining forces and forming an alliance to resist the Assyrians. And they come up, it's Pekah and Rezin, Rezin the king of Syria, Pekah the son of Remaliah, king of Israel. They come up with this great idea, let's force the southern kingdom into an alliance so we can fight against Assyria. Let's force the issue here. So what we read is, they go out, this is in verse 1, to wage war against the southern kingdom against Jerusalem, against King Ahaz. They could not mount yet mount an attack against it, so we don't know why they are not attacking. Perhaps God is sovereignly causing them not to be able to. And then the house of David, it's 
so this would be King Ahaz, is told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, the heart of his people. What happens? They're shaking. They're shaking in their boots, as we say around here. And here's how God responds. He comes out and he meets Ahaz. Look at verse 3. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Jeshub. Now, we know that names are significant, and you may have a little footnote, which you need your glasses to read, because Shear Jeshub is not translated. It's a Hebrew phrase, and the name means a remnant will return. And so, understand the importance of this passage. Ahaz, shaking. What does God do? He says, go out, Isaiah, and meet him. But take along your son, and the son is named, a remnant will return. And so there's a nonverbal communication here because we know Isaiah's name means God saves. So God is saying, when Ahaz's heart is melting and the people are nervous as ever, he says, I'm going to give you a message, and the two people who are delivering it are God saves and a remnant will return. And it speaks to the power of God, that's Isaiah, God saves, and it speaks to God's promises as well, because the remnant returning is God exhibiting His faithfulness to His people and to His covenant promises. We first meet the remnant, just a little background on the remnant here, uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in Isaiah, you get the first reference to the remnant. And the remnant is that God's not going to destroy. His judgment will fall on His people, but He's not going to wipe them all out. There will be some who remain. And the first mention of that is in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Then the remnant is mentioned not only in 1, 9, but also chapter 4, verse 3. And he who is left in Zion, that's the remnant, and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. And then as well, the remnants mentioned uh, last week, we looked at this, chapter 6, verse 13, and though a tenth remain in it, and then the remnant, that subject is taken up again in chapter 10. So what God is communicating here is, I keep my promises. So, God's power, Isaiah, God saves, and God keeps his promises. Sheer Jeshub, a remnant will return. Go out and talk to Ahaz. So, they go out to meet him, but where they meet him, notice this, it's at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. What's going on here? Well, in ancient warfare, a common strategy was siege warfare. You just surrounded the city and you wait till they run out of water and run out of food. And so what's King Ahaz doing? He is inspecting the water supply for Jerusalem. Can we get through a siege by Ephraim and by Syria? Can we survive this? So it's sort of in that moment of evaluation... And by the way, if you have a pending invasion, you're going to keep the location of your king secret, aren't you? 
But here's the thing, God knows. And at that moment of high anxiety and worry, in that frenetic activity that King Ahaz is engaging in, he instructs that King Ahaz would know his power in his promise. His power in his promise. And that kind of communication it's, is what is made to us as well. There are times in your life where your heart is shaken, just like the ancient people of God. And our heart shaking as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. We worry about all that will happen. We're concerned for different aspects of our life. The worries pile up, and God meets us there. Sometimes it can be, I heard this the other day, somebody in our church going to have a procedure done, and they met somebody who had the exact same procedure. This is God showing up, God meeting us in our greatest worries and anxieties. And here's how you apply this. Where is God meeting you when your heart is shaken? Look for those times that God is meeting you, meeting you with His power, meeting you with His promise. Look at what God has brought you through already. When your heart is shaken, look for the power and the promise of God. Pay attention to that. Sometimes in our worries and concerns, we get the blinders on and we only see the obstacle or our circumstances. But here we're shown God meets us. Look for His power and His promise, especially through the gospel, and then give Him thanks for meeting you. Sometimes you and I, we go through something difficult, and it's like, glad that's over with. And we, we forget to thank God that he got us through. And so it's so important to remember to give thanks as God meets us. And if you are going through a hard time right now, you need to ask God to meet you there and that he would give you spiritual discernment to be able to discern where his power and his promise are providing for you and meeting you. So when our hearts are shaken, God responds First way he responds, he meets us, just like he met King Ahaz, with his power and his promise. But then as well, not only does God meet us, when our hearts are shaken, God has a message for us. He has a message for us, and the message is delivered there in verse 4. Four imperatives. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. So four things that Isaiah delivers to Ahaz in this heart-shaking moment here. Be careful. Now, oftentimes we instruct other people as we are parting. Be careful out there. It's a dangerous world. Be careful. That's not really the meaning here. Be careful is sort of take yourself by the hand. Sort of keep yourself be quiet is an instruction. We're going to return to that. This is not, you have to be silent, especially I don't advise being silent in the face of heretical type error, but this is sort of stop your blabbering. Stop your blabbering. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. 
Now the basis of not fearing and not letting your heart be faint comes to us next, and it's because of God's perspective. Look at verse 4, that God's perspective here on the enemies of his people. Do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Why? Because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. What does God mean by that, putting it that way? Well, imagine resin and Pekah, the two enemies that are coming to invade, they're not even like live trees. They're not like a raging fire. They're like a tree that's been cut down and a stump that is just smoldering. It doesn't pose a danger. This is God's perspective on the enemies of his people. He can say, don't let your heart be faint. Don't fear. Why? Because these enemies which look so powerful to you, they're just a couple smoldering stumps. Nothing to worry about because of God's perspective. And certainly that's true in our own life. We build up the enemies of God, the principalities, the ideas. We build these up as some huge opposition. God is able to take care of them. And we see that portrayed in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 1, we read, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And this Sort of imagine Pekah and Rezin, they're raging, Syria, Ephraim, raging against God's people. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords. So that's Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. What, what's God's response to that? Psalm 2, 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. In other words, the enemies of God, they are doing their best. They are coming. They are being intimidating. What is God doing? Laughing. He is in heaven laughing. The Lord holds them in derision. Why? That's his perspective. He can take them. He can take all comers, in fact. He can turn our situation in a moment. And so... We're called here, adopt God's perspective about the problem rather than our own or some, some so-called expert out there. But not only is one of the basis here of us not fearing, not letting our heart be faint because of God's perspective on his enemies, he's laughing at them. Not only that, but as well, he knows their plan. Their plan is revealed right here. Look at verse 5. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it. So God already knows their plan. He listens to his enemies. He knows their plan. He can outmaneuver them and then look at the specifics here. For ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. God is sharing the plan of the enemy with Isaiah. Tabiel, it's very obscure. Only mention of it here in the Old Testament of this individual. And so what I'm getting at is somewhere along the line, Pekah and Rezin had a conference together and they said, let's go up against Jerusalem, 
and we're going to set the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. They didn't necessarily share that plan outside their council or their circle. The soldiers who were going might not even know the plan, but God knows. God knows. And so we have this assurance that when we're instructed this way, be careful, be quiet, stop your blabbering, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. God has a perspective about his enemies. He's laughing at them. He knows their plan, and we can be assured of that. Now, let's go back to this imperative here to be quiet, to be quiet. Some of us have a hard time with that. But the idea of being quiet here is something you see in Psalm 42 and 43. So Psalm 42 and 43, the exact same verse is repeated three times. In Psalm 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5, we read this. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So two chapters of the Bible, same verse appears three times. And in the King James Version, you have this idea, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquiet within me? That's the idea. And the disquiet is the turmoil, the frenetic activity that we engage in when we're worried, when we're concerned about something, when we have deep anxiety about something. And God is saying, we can be quiet, we can be calm. The idea here carries out in another psalm, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. So in the face of opposition, in heart-shaking situations, what does God tell us? He tells us, be calm, be still and know that I am God, be quiet. In those disagreements and interpersonal conflicts that we get in, be calm. I've got this. Not only does God have the power, not only does he have the perspective, he knows the plan of the opposition and the, and the wicked. Calm is not something we generate within ourselves uh, maybe we say, oh, you know, I just have a really laid-back personality. That's, that's not the biblical idea. Because things can happen that are so heart-shaking, I don't care what, how laid-back you are, you're going to be bothered by it. No, it needs a basis. It needs something to rest on. In Psalm 131.2, we read, I have behaved and quieted myself as a weaned child. There's a satisfaction and contentment with what God has for us that enables us to become, not because we're really laid back, but because we have a God who stands above everyone and everything. He has this perspective about our problem and he knows the plan of the wicked, and it's because of that that we can be calm and be quiet. It is also how the gospel comes to us in this passage. We cannot be calm unless we know ultimately that our life belongs to Christ. 
if you have trusted in Christ, in other words, you have placed your faith in Him, understanding that Christianity is not uh, self-help faith, but instead Christianity is the great declaration that you cannot be good enough for God so Christ was good enough on your behalf. If that is your faith, we have tremendous peace in our life because the greatest dilemmas of all of life are answered. And we can have peace with God, a peace that transcends all understanding, to quote Philippians chapter 4, a peace that is beyond all comprehension, not because of us, but because of who God is. And so you see, so far in our most heart-shaking situations, God meets us in the midst of those He meets us with His power and His promise, and not only does God meet us there, He speaks to us. He tells us, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Well, why? I'm freaking out here, God. Why can I be calm? He knows the plan of the wicked, and He has a perspective about His enemies that they have already been defeated through what Christ has done in His triumph over the cross and the empty tomb. Well, the last thing here is that God enables belief. He enables belief. And by this, I mean, as you progress in this passage, you see the bar of what's needing to be believed in lowered and lowered. It's a very gospel, a gospel word direction. And what I mean by that is, look how the passage ends. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And what's being communicated here is something about the nature of faith. And the nature of faith is this. If you don't have all of it, you got none of it. The Christian faith, you know, my mom loved to go to Luby's, right? And I know there's still a few Luby's fans out there. Get that Luann platter. But the idea is... She loved going to Luby's because everybody gets what they want. Christianity, theology, is not that way. You don't, as it were, grab your tray and say, "Mm, God's sovereignty, I'll have a little bit of that in this theology over here, but I'm not going to have biblical sexual ethics that are declared in Scripture or the moral law that God Declare, I'm not going to have any of that. No, it's not. Christianity is not a cafeteria. It's all of it or it's none of it. And when people compromise on the clearly articulated ethics that relate to modern societal confusion over sexuality or over gender, this is a casting away of Christianity and the faith. It's only the tip of the iceberg and the rest will follow eventually. And so the encouragement here, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The encouragement is to not stop believing. But here's the thing. The bar keeps getting lowered. What do I mean by that? Well, God meets Ahaz. He tells Ahaz what's going to happen. He tells him in verse 7, look at this, it shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. 
How clear does God have to be that he's going to take care of his people in this threatening, heart-shaking situation? It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. God declares it, and then you get this prediction. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Verse 8. So do you see the level of what needs to be believed in continues to be reduced as God meets, shares his power, shares his perspective and message to Ahaz, and finally enables Ahaz to believe. By the time we get to, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. We've already seen the faithfulness and the power of God to defeat all his and our enemies. God enables that belief. In 1981, Jonathan Cain wrote the song, oh, I totally love it, Don't Stop Believing. I mean, it's the kind of song, you know, by journey. It's the kind of song, yes, it is a secular song, but it doesn't matter what mood you're in. doesn't matter how down you are. It certainly can lift your spirit. And some of you might not know the origin of this song. So Jonathan Cain, musician with Journey, went out to Hollywood, moved from Chicago to try to make it in the music industry. And so he was gigging and uh, trying to make ends meet in his dog. He had this beloved dog. The dog racked up a $900 vet bill. And so he needed, this was, you know, an expense he hadn't planned on. He needed that money. He was uh, just at the, at, at the end of his rope with respect to uh, what his options were. So he, he, he called his dad. He called his dad and he said, look, I don't know about this whole music industry thing. I've been out here in Hollywood trying to make it. And now my dog needs to be put back together. Back in 1981, I mean, $900 was real money uh, for sure. And so his dad said, look, you went out there to make it. You need to stay at it. I will loan you the money. And you know what he told his son? Don't stop believing. And it became, the rest is, rock and roll history. But that's the origin. He heard from his father that he shouldn't stop believing. He received the resources he needed to put the dog back together. And God has a message for you today. If your heart is shaken, if you look at the world concerned for the situation and what's going on, God has a message for you not to stop believing. Just because we are in the minority, perhaps, in terms of biblical sexual ethics or our obedience to the Lord. The command is the same. Don't stop believing. You see, the Father doesn't just give us a loan. He pays the price through Jesus Christ. We receive full payment in Christ, and we are called to have this prevailing and enduring belief. Why? Because God meets us there. He has a message for us, and he enables us to believe even when our hearts are shaken. It is a message to not stop believing. Let's pray together.
Lord, how we ask that indeed you would give us that persevering and enduring faith because of who you are, because of your grace and your mercy shown to us, and how you meet us in our heart-shook moments, and how you communicate your power and promise to us. How we rejoice in that. We pray you would help us to have peace, knowing who you are, and what you've done for us in Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.